to Music Works. Today we are delighted to welcome Camilla King, Head of Programming at Cheltenham Music Festival, one of the UK's largest and most high profile festivals. The festival will be happening from the 2nd to the 9th of July, followed by a weekend of free music on the 10th and 11th, by which time it was anticipated that lockdown restrictions were to have lifted further. But with the government's decision out this week at the point of recording, we hear from Camilla how their plans had been structured from the outset to accommodate precisely this eventuality and how they're still on track to deliver an outstanding offering with less than three weeks to go. If you want to hear about the fantastic artists you can look forward to hearing at Cheltenham 2021 in a diverse programme of spectacular international performers and musical genres, then stay tuned as Camilla shares a rundown of some of the fabulous events in the music world calendar, from the intriguing bassists with boobs to the pleasures of a musical ramble in the footsteps of Hubert Parry. You may also be surprised to learn about the theme for 2021 which Camilla carried forward from the cancelled festival of 2020. In an industry where success is king, it's fascinating to hear what she has to say about the significance and importance of experiencing failure as a natural part of everybody's ability to grow and learn. But first, here's a message from our sponsor. MusicWorks is generously supported by Allianz Musical Insurance, the UK's number one musical instrument insurer with cover for all types of instruments and musical equipment, protecting you against accidental damage, loss, theft and more. Allianz offer a team of music experts who understand musicians' needs and lifestyles, especially helpful during the strange times we're in. You can get cover for all types of instruments and musical equipment with protection against accidental damage, loss, theft and more. And, unlike home insurance, there's no excess to pay on instrument or accessory claims. At the moment, Allianz have a special online offer with two months free cover. Not only that, every Allianz Music policy now includes free legal assistance and support so you can protect yourself both as a musician and in your personal life. Find out more at alliancemusic.co.uk. Allianz, serving the music community since 1960, proud to be the insurer of choice for over 70,000 musicians. So now let's go over to the Music Works studio where Camilla King is waiting to talk to us about the Cheltenham Music Festival 2021. Hello Camilla, welcome. Thank you so much for coming on. Hi Katie, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. <laughs> so today I'm speaking to Camilla King, the Head of Programming at Cheltenham Music Festival. And I'm sure that all of you listening will be very familiar with Cheltenham. It's one of the biggest music festivals in the UK. Um, so absolutely thrilled to be talking to you today, Camilla. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about Cheltenham 2021. Um, so... I'm imagining there's quite a lot to talk about. Um, the festival is happening in July um, 2021, which comes with some um, some challenges in terms of restrictions, easing and planning, I'm sure. So why don't you start by telling us a bit about the festival and, and the planning of? Sure. Um, so the festival itself is taking place from the 2nd to the 9th of July. And then on the 10th and 11th of July, we've got a an outdoor free weekend of music happening in Imperial Gardens in Cheltenham. Um, and I've been planning it, usually we plan kind of two, about two, maybe three years ahead. So some of the programming has been in place for 18 months or so. And then obviously after last summer's festival was cancelled, there was a bit of kind of shifting gear to move some of the things that couldn't happen last year to this year, um, but also keeping some of those like really lovely 
projects that I'd already got in place for this summer. Um, and then and then there was a really long period of just waiting to see what this year would look like, because obviously from sort of, I'm going to say from about September, October until about February, we were really just kind of just a lot of waiting and sort of doing little bits of planning, but also a lot of just kind of stasis and not being sure what the landscape was going to be like. And actually, to a certain extent, we're still <laughs> we're still slightly in that now, aren't we? Because things change so rapidly. Um, but yeah, in February, we sort of made a firm decision that the festival would happen, um, that we would go ahead, but we would have a kind of dual plan. So we planned to go ahead with social distancing in place um, and then at kind of full capacity venues and planned everything around these two scenarios. Um, and we left it until only about three weeks ago, although I could swear it's about three months ago, it feels, <laughs> each week feels so long at the moment. Yeah. Um, but about three weeks ago, so just um, at the end of May, we kind of took the final plunge and we were sort of like waiting and waiting for announcements and information whether to go with the 30% capacities. So the kind of absolute proper, proper social distancing, not 50%, like, yes, definitely the sort of strictest version of things or back to normal. Mm. And I, and at that point we had a real, I was very much in favor of taking the risk and going at hundred percent and Boy, am I glad <laughs> that we didn't do that now. I'm normally an ultra, I'm normally an ultra cautious person, a bit of a pessimist. Um, two weeks before that, I'd been saying, no, 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 we have to do it socially distanced. And then <laughs> I kept doing complete switches. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm very glad that um that other people made the decision to go at 30%. And so we after last night, you know, we know it can happen and um and it's, you know, it's not what we might have sort of envisaged, but I think it will still be really fantastic. We've got some wonderful concerts and we know that we can do it and keep everybody safe. And that's the main thing right now, I think. Absolutely, absolutely. I think music happening in whatever way it can is just so important. And um, yeah. it's worth mentioning that we're recording this on the 15th of June. It will go out slightly later, but we're uh, so it's, it's yesterday um, for us right now that we um, found out that the 21st of June um, further easing of restrictions is going to is is delayed until um, mid July. Yeah. Um, so that's obviously the context of this <laughs> opportune moment to have a discussion about one of the biggest classical music festivals around, biggest music festivals around. So, um, well, yeah. I mean, I'm sort of relieved on your part that um, that you haven't had to change the plans again. But obviously, it is so disappointing to hear that um that these things can't take place at 100 percent capacity because i know there'll be so many people who are dying to see all of this fantastic music um do you want to give us a few highlights of the festival mm. um i'm really pleased it when i was planning it was so important to me that we that it didn't just feel like a kind of 10 day or, or week long or whatever concert series of just a couple of concerts a day and i really wanted to try and retain some of that spirit of of a festival and, and what makes that special. So that was something back in January, February that I was really concerned about sort of getting those extra elements in. So we've managed, we've still got orchestras coming, which is incredible. We've got the Bournemouth Symphony Orchestra coming, um, BBC National Orchestra of Wales with Martin Brabins. Um, they both have 
really super programs obviously with reduced sized orchestra <laughs> i'm so sick of saying that everything's reduced but yeah reduced sized orchestra but they still put together really really gorgeous programs that i think you know will sort of give that spirit of the full symphony orchestra but just be something a bit different and special um and then we've got we've also got la serenissima early music um ensemble jess gillam saxophonist coming with her ensemble sort of small ensemble of friends doing a really interesting program um and then we've got the kind of great soloists uh, that you always expect to see at cheltenham stephen osborne who i've been a fan of for years and wanted to get to the festival for such a long time um dame sarah connolly and imogen cooper performing together for the first time wow. Um, and I'm hearing great things about that program. They've been rehearsing together and um, and I'm hearing that they're really, really excited about it. Um, and we've got BBC New Generation artists. We've got a musical ramble through the countryside of Gloucestershire. Um, we've got two film screenings of Malcolm Arnold films. So all sorts of things going on. Fabulous. It's the Arnold centenary, isn't it? So That's uh, right, yeah. Lovely. And I'd love to hear more about the musical ramble. That sounds like fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> Not so... physically challenging at all. At all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, I do need to go up there and walk the route and make sure that it is properly planned and draw some maps. So there's always this last minute things that have to happen at a festival that you kind of go, yeah, it'll get done, it'll get done. Um, <laughs> shouldn't admit that, maybe. No, um, so but obviously yeah. you did that years ago. When <laughs> <laughs> so the ramble was supposed yeah. to happen last summer and I've got all the maps here and I've got a route planned. I just need to go and walk it and make sure it's yeah. okay. Um, but yeah, no, there's a, so I, um, actually I was inspired by our Cheltenham Literature Festival. Um, I worked on an event for them because I do event managing for them uh, sometimes. And um, and it was a really beautiful ramble um, through the Slad Valley, which is where Laurie Lee grew up and lived. And, um, and I thought, gosh, it would be so lovely to do something like this, but with music, because in Gloucestershire, we've got some connections to some really wonderful British composers. Um, and of course it was Parry, who jumped to mind first of all because he grew up in Heinem. His father owned Heinem Court um, and the church, which is on the grounds there. And his and Parry's father painted these really beautiful frescoes in the church that are incredibly intricate. It's a very, very small church, but it's really beautiful. Um, and George Paris, he's the artistic director of the Curry Singers, will be leading the walk and he'll be telling our ramblers about parry his life but they'll also be stopping and as well as enjoying the beautiful countryside they'll listen to extracts of parry's music so that they can get a real sense of what he was looking at when he was writing and where he grew up and sort of this this magical place that sort of formed him um so i, th I think that will just be a really lovely afternoon outing Sounds really lovely. And, and will the music be um, sung by live singers or will it be a, a recording? No, it'll be a recording. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to have a we're going to have a Bluetooth speaker um, and everyone will just be able to gather around and, and listen and and look at the countryside. It should be really lovely. That sounds fantastic. So it's kind yeah. of like a, a sort of um, pre-concert talk or recital lecture type. Yeah. Thing, literally on site. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds yeah. fantastic. <laughs> um, oh, brilliant. Thank you for, for telling us about that. It sounds really magical. Um, and I was going to ask as well, um, about, you mentioned when you were talking about programming before, 
um, having some things already planned for this year and then obviously with the whole of the last festival having to be cancelled mm. um, making those two things work together and I think this will be interesting for a lot of our listeners because at, at the moment we're all you know music, um, you know performers and um, we as an agency are, are working you know always trying to work out where people are at in terms of looking to the future with programming and rescheduling the things that have gone on before and obviously we've all dealt with um, so much rescheduling sometimes multiple times for, <laughs> for multiple things and so on and it's it's interesting to me how you've made that work in terms of balancing the existing plans and the the plans that unfortunately had to be cancelled I mean it worked it actually worked quite well because I'd I'm trying to remember I'd I, what I try and do, what usually happens is that the building blocks of the festival, so the really big events like the orchestral things um, will be planned earlier because orchestras, diaries are busier and you've got to get in there a bit quicker. So I try to get those in first. Um, and then things like some of the more complicated commissions and new works will also have been earlier in the planning just because again, it takes time to raise the money for them. And if it's something like a production, for example, we've got um, a chamber opera by Luke Stiles uh, premiering that, you know, planning something like an opera just takes a few years. So that I've been talking to George Vass, who um, is the artistic director of Nova Music, who are the producers, and he also runs Prestine Festival in Wales. Um, we've been talking about that project since 2018, I think. Um, was when he first called me up about it. So, so things like that take a little while to get set up. Um, so there were those key things that were already in place. And then, so it was more a question of moving some of the chamber music that I planned for last summer to this year. Um, the Parry Walk was meant to happen last summer and we'll move to this year. So it, was, it wasn't actually too complicated a process to shift things around a bit. Yeah, because you already, it's, that's the natural way the festival works anyway, is to have some major cornerstones in place and then, um, you know, the, the more responsive, smaller things to come in a bit later. Exactly that, yeah. 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 Oh, that's, that's great to hear, thank you. Um, so, um, tell me about the free stage then, what's on, what's on the free stage at the end of the festival? So the free stage, um, we did for the first time in 2019. It's quite a big risk for the music festival because probably most people think of us as a classical music festival mm -hmm. and I know actually with a lot of audiences there's a sort of um, who I've spoken to there's a sense because we were formed in 1945 as a contemporary music festival there's a lot of people who still think that that's what we do um, and new music is really important and commissions are really important to what we do but actually I would say that over the last 20 odd years the programme's broadened a lot from that original mission and there's plenty of um, you know kind of core classical music happening but also we have dance and folk and world music and all sorts of other things. It's a it's a pretty wide ranging program. So, but introducing the free stage um, was much more about taking what we do in the venues out because we're in the middle of summer, but we're behind closed doors, which is the case for a lot of festivals. Um, and I really wanted when I took over the festival to to try and find ways to take it to more people in Cheltenham. Um, and this is not a new idea. This is something that we, you know, we always try and do. We've done for years, but 
um, we really put a lot uh, into that project and into making it a big success, making the site look really beautiful and sort of opening it up and saying to people, the music festival's here, just like our jazz festival is in May and our science festival is, and you can come in and look at all this wonderful free stuff happening, you know, face painting for kids and, um, you know, award nominated performers who are of a really high standard and this is something really special um, and it was great in 2019 so we've brought it back this year and it's sort of two and a half days um, from the afternoon Friday the 9th of July until the end of Sunday the 11th of July um, and it's a huge range of performers we've got some classical um, but we've also got uh, folk Americana um, some country. It's a real wide range of music. We've got um, an oud player performing. Um, so we've yeah we've tried really hard to get a big range of styles, but people who are incredible. That was my remit. Um, I worked on it with a couple of colleagues, uh, Louise and Natalie, who were incredible. And and the remit was I want a broad range of styles, but everybody who performs on that free stage has to be so fantastic. But even if it isn't a type of music that you're sitting there and think you would be into, they're so brilliant and engaging that you think, wow, this is so cool. I wish I'd like listened to this type of music before. And that was the only remit, really. That's fabulous. That's, I mean, that's exactly what festivals are all about, isn't it? It's about Absolutely. seeing something, having access to it and thinking, well, I never knew that was there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what yeah, that's exactly what we try to do is to really engage people and inspire them and maybe make them look at things in a slightly different way. That's really, really important to, to my programming. Mm, absolutely. And so your programming encompasses a whole a whole range of styles then. How how did you um balance that on the stage or was it purely the case of shortlisting your brilliant artists and going <laughs> from there? <laughs> well, from for the free stage, yeah. Um so we had a planning document that we chucked a load of names into and all went away and researched different people who we'd like to invite and then came back and, and looked at all their stuff and sort of, yeah, made up a short list. And obviously on something like an outdoor stage, you want a nice flow through the day. So it was all about, you know, having a range of styles, but people who complemented each other. And maybe if you've got a slow set backing, you know, following it with something a bit more upbeat, but most, but the main driver was, do we listen to this and think, wow, I really want to see them live? Mm. Then let's try and book them. And that was, yeah, that was it really. Fabulous. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And is that, <laughs> is that an addition um, to the previous festival? Does that actually make the festival longer? Or is it a rearrangement of how it was before? It's a rearrangement. So in 2019, it happened over the opening weekend of the festival. Mm. And this year we've moved it to the, to the closing weekend. Um, just for availability of the gardens reasons and so that we didn't have any sand bleed into the town hall when we had orchestras playing and all you know logistical things mm, logistical <laughs> reasons yeah, absolutely yeah. fantastic so because of course the logistics of, of having a free open air two and a half day musical festival are not inconsiderable and, no, uh, <laughs> it's a whole thing in itself it's a whole extra absolutely. thing yeah i've organized just single days like that are um <laughs> Yeah, absolutely enormous yeah um so you know to have that just sort of waiting for you at the end there <laughs> that's quite nice though because all my yeah. main all the ticketed events will have finished mm. um and then 
everything's done for the free stage. Someone else will be running it, managing it on the day. So I, I'm, I can go and just sit down there and have a cocktail from Chase Distillery, who are one of our sponsors, and have a stall there. Um, I sit and have a cocktail and I listen to the free music and kick back and enjoy myself, hopefully, if nothing goes yeah, wrong. I mean, I'm absolutely yeah. sure that's going to happen for you. <laughs> <laughs> it will, it will. I'll get my... It will. That's what, that's what it's going to be like on the 11th of July. That's what you're going to be doing. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair. <laughs> And um, so tell me as well about the, um, you're having a conference day or a sort of music industry day as part of this festival as well, is that right? That's right, yeah. So um, that was an initiative started by Alison Balsam um, for her festival in 2019. And um, the idea behind it is that the music festival, as I said before, was started for um, contemporary music and British composers in the wake of the Second World War. And so we really wanted to do something which captured that idea that we've always been a meeting point for composers and new music. Um, we already and have um, have done since 2013 run a composers academy at every festival. And so we thought it would be really great if we could have the composer academy. And then at the end of that, when we would showcase their premieres, um, We'd normally just do that to the public, but we thought, wouldn't it be great to do something that invites the public, but also key industry people to come together and talk about composition, talk about the industry, look at issues that we're all facing and just provide a really great opportunity to have open discussion um, about you know, concerns that people have or things that we want to change and not just talk, but also listen to new music and network and all of those things and it was a really fantastic day in 2019 so um yeah I'm chuffed that we're doing it again this summer great yeah it sounds very uh, particularly um apt this year I'm sure although also much needed in 2019 perhaps less explicitly yeah um. <laughs> yeah absolutely and the, the theme this year um I decided to keep it it was meant to be the theme last year and it was something that came out of the 2019 festival and conversations that were happening on that day and in those panels um and and it and I yeah I had programmed this for 2020 but it seems almost more apt now maybe we're not going to I mean I'm sure COVID will come up but we're not going to talk about COVID and things like that because I feel like there are a lot of conversations happening around those things at the moment so the the theme of the day is failure <laughs> um and uh, and it's just but it's really looking at it from the perspective that um, I think particularly in this age of social media, people can outwardly seem to be incredibly successful and succeeding all the time and constantly putting things out there. But actually, every single successful person has experienced multiple failures. There's no you don't you don't get to success without failure. And it's an important thing to remember when you're feeling like you're failing or not succeeding or not moving forward. Um, I think there's a brilliant example. Um, Benjamin Britten uh, had written a letter to someone um, sort of complaining or sort of saying how sad he was because he hadn't won. It was either a competition or, or an award. He hadn't won and he was really devastated about it. And then literally the next day or a week later, he I can't remember the details. I'm not telling this very well, but he won a really big thing. And it's and that was the thing that got all the publicity and was in the papers. And nobody knew about this huge failure that he had just suffered right before. And I I just think it's I was definitely had it on my mind because I was taking over from Alison Balsam and the prospect of of 
stepping into those shoes and, and running a festival, not being a famous celebrated musician and having all of that, you know, sort of profile was a heavy weight on my shoulders. And I thought, okay, well, this is a good, this is something that we all struggle with. So it would be a good thing to talk about, I think. Absolutely. It's a very, very important topic and, um, and interesting to, um, to hear about what that means to you personally, because, you know, I, I often feel the same as well about, um, you know, talking, talking a lot to famous um, musicians and working with a lot of famous musicians and just sort of being here doing my thing. And um, so it's kind of <laughs> personally quite nice for me to hear that that was on your mind as well. Imposter syndrome is a, is a real oh, thing. <laughs> isn't it just, you know, we all look at ourselves and look at other people and think, well, we're obviously not there, are we? Yeah. Um, oh, <laughs> well, thank you for talking about that. And I, I mean, I agree so much about the importance of failure i mean in, in my life failure or certainly um not everything being successful has been enormously important for mm. the right things actually coming out um and i think that's true for a lot of musicians as well and it's so hard to see when you're in the middle of it um and it's also not that easy you know to appreciate it when other people tell you it's all going to be fine because it's really like that. I think that's the yeah we can see that people have experienced failure themselves yeah and and you're right failure is definitely you know whether it's in your professional life or your personal life or wherever it might be is definitely something that is only is often only something that you can reflect on and see the the how important it was afterwards um because at the time it can feel so well failures can be huge or they can be small but it can feel so devastating at the time but you know it does really powerfully failures really shape you know who we are and, and what we do and it's it's an interesting sort of it's interesting to have that sense of balance I think in in our lives and that it does doesn't have to be the end of the world yeah and also our concept of failure is so shaped by what we're taught that it means as well yeah um and i think that can be something that's particularly pertinent to the music industry because um i mean there's the whole starving musician mentality that is uh, you know it's almost like we're we're almost basically told that if we're working music we're, we're almost destined to if not fail succeed at being very you know <laughs> yeah. often <laughs> Um, so what we actually mean by success and failure is, is I think, interesting in, in the context of it's not just music, but it's definitely a, um, a big thing in the creative industries, I would say. Is this yes. idea of um, if you haven't done this, then you've failed or in, in some yeah, cases, you, have, you know, success being seen as, for example, getting certain roles. But then if those roles still don't you know pay that much, it's like, OK, well, I've achieved the thing. Yeah. But actually, you know, the impact on my life hasn't actually been what I needed it to be. Yeah, so true. And I think we yeah. can be I think as an industry, maybe particularly with performers, we can be quite. You know, when someone does really succeed and does well financially, you know, there can be a lot of um, trying to think how to put it, people can react quite negatively to that, I think, mm -hmm. because it is seen as something that you should be struggling for your art. And, yeah. and so many people do, and it is so, so hard. It is the very few who are out there and very successful and visible. Um, so it's, a, it's a, yeah, it's, it's difficult. No, I, I completely agree. I think there's a, a sense of if someone's too successful, then they're, they're not seen, it's not seen as, and you can be this too, it's seen as, oh, they've somehow 
broken the mold <laughs> yeah and I think yes, I think I think I mean I'm I'm definitely thinking now particularly of opera because I worked at English National Opera doing casting for a while and and that's something you know where I think you have some really big ideas of success don't you and I I think you, know, you get opera stars who reach sometimes some you know very almost stratospheric levels of success but then that that's almost not acceptable because you're seen a little bit as selling out at that point um and I mean I'm talking about I don't know you know not the crossover level of success but sort of you know I'm to, you know real, real high profile artists I don't want to name any names but yeah. and so there is a sort of there's a there's an acceptable level of success in music where you're still liked and allowed to be that successful and yeah but is it, and is it not and I'm not this is totally off the cuff and I might be wrong <laughs> but it, and, and I would love to know if you agree with me about this but this is not to do with um like how murky and confusing it is as to how people got there because I would never I think that everyone like way more people in classical music should have stratospheric success oh totally and and so I'm certainly never going to be of the mind that that's in any way a bad thing quite the opposite but the thing is that when you're in an opera house and um the the kind of secondary roles um you know for fee levels for instance are just so wildly different from the star and it's unclear and no one really knows that and then it leaks out and then it's sort of like you know i just feel like that is it's it's because people can't see the route to how they get there and it feels unfair somehow mm. what, do you, what do you think about that yeah i think that's definitely true and i think um uh, yeah, and the whole question of fees is a really interesting one because, uh, and actually it feeds through into salaries in our industry as well, I think, um, in the, for musicians particularly, I I think, I mean, when, <laughs> when I worked at English National Opera, I would say to young artists that it's not essential to have a manager, an agent, and you can do a lot for yourself, especially as a young artist, without management. Um, and it would be and it's much better to do that um, and to chase those auditions and opportunities yourself um, and wait for the right person and get management with the right agency um, and one who's really going to support you rather than just just have one for the sake of it, because actually that isn't going to support your career if you do that. Um, and I but there is definitely a, a point and a level where. Um, having a manager and having the right manager will help you increase your fees because they'll be able to do that negotiation process, which is so uncomfortable to do yourself and push for you in a way that you can't yourself. But um, but it's it's tricky, isn't it? Because a lot of it, a lot of it is down to luck um, and being in the right place at the right time. Of course, a huge amount of it is down to incredible talent and hard work, undeniably. Um, but there definitely are really talented musicians who who don't reach the level of success that they that you think they deserve and it's and it's sad it's sad to see it happen because you think god i know that they've got that thing but there's there's so many elements that go into making that happen and it it's also down to you know not just talent and hard work but also how easy you are to work with sometimes not always but particularly for something like being a singer where you, know, you have to be a team player and be able to get on with a large group of people. Um, and if you always used to say this to young singers, if you are 
really likable and good to work with and you turn up on time and you just get things done and you're a nice person to have around you will get asked back because we will want to have you here in the opera house um and and actually the same goes for festivals <clears throat> i don't particularly want to invite someone to the festival if i think they're going to be really difficult to have around <laughs> because yeah. i've got a young team um you know the staff who i work with are quite young we've got a young group of volunteers and actually i part of my responsibility yes is to deliver a good program but also to look after those people and to make sure that my team have a great experience and a great time um and there's no doubt that running festivals and being involved with them is incredibly stressful. <laughs> um, it just is really, you know, it's 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 a short period of time, but it's very intense. Um, so, so yeah, you kind of want to make life a bit easier for yourself wherever you can. And if you know you've got really lovely people coming um, and artists who are just a joy to have around, it makes you feel more good about the whole experience and, and more likely to rebook them and recommend them and all of those things that, you know, it does, I think it goes a long way. I agree. I agree. It's definitely, um, there's an additional warmth and ease that comes with, um, with working with people who are, who are part of the ethos of, of what you're trying to deliver, aren't they? And they're kind of, um, yeah. they're as happy to be there as you're as happy to have them there. If that's the right sentence. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I just, I feel like as, and I think that's a really good message and an interesting message because I think a lot of young artists in particular may potentially confuse that genuine importance with, um, needing to work under less ideal circumstances, you know, not, you know, at kind of, um, in, in, in places where, um, you know, budgets aren't what they should be and so on and so forth. And people feel like they need to kind of bend over backwards to get the work. And there's an in, there's a balance to be drawn there, isn't there, between definitely, I agree that, um, I don't know, and I, in a sense, it's like maybe that that would work if, you know, when people are happy to be in a place and the fees are right and the working environment is right and they're appreciated, that's probably easier all round, isn't it, to be... Um, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I'm yeah, thinking about it from my perspective. You know, I'm hopefully never difficult, but if I was, it would certainly be because I was like, you know, miffed about something not being right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, yeah. that's it, isn't it? I mean, being a being a, that's the difficult thing of being a performer is that you, it's it's a real challenge to be expected to turn up every single day and be you know delightful because sometimes, oh, sure. sometimes because it's a, a bad day yeah and it's and it's and it's a you know it's a bloody hard career choice like it's mm. you know it's you've got periods of horrible uncertainty like now which is sort of you know beyond anyone what anyone could have imagined um you've got to travel which is exhausting you've got a you know, you've got to be so organised and there's huge pressures. And I really admire anybody who, who decides to be a professional musician, whatever, you know, whatever path they take or however it goes on, because it is a really, I couldn't have done it. I, I sort of had a, a little bit of a um, of a moment at university where I could have chosen to go on and do a postgrad in performing. And I just knew that I wasn't cut out for that lifestyle or the pressure or, you know, trying that kind of daily fight really to make it work and and make things happen I knew that I wouldn't cope well with that and I I admire anyone who can do it and I is a it is not an easy choice um so of course you're going to get bad days with somebody sometimes of course <laughs> I completely agree it is really hard and I certainly don't um 
equally. I don't want to advocate for everyone having to behave in a way that they're not. I don't, I don't know, again, it's this kind of, and like as somebody who um, invites people to festivals and things myself as well, I love it when, it, like, I can, you know, my ideal situation would be if someone arrives and I'm like, I know exactly what you need. And, you know, it's like I can make this a really welcoming experience for you and um and obviously sometimes we know that and sometimes we don't um but it's really uh, um a situation where we all want to help each other and all want to create the best possible artistic situation yeah no I think that's the key thing to remember isn't it that that whether you're a performer or you're working on the admin side of things you know we're all doing it because we really care about music and for me, why I do my job is because I admire so much those performers and I love music of all types, but especially classical music so much. And I want to create opportunities for those talented people and put composers and performers together and find those interesting relationships and introduce more people to what we do and help you know them experience the kind of love and enjoyment that I get from it. Um, and give a platform to really talented artists. That's, you know, that's why I do my job and artists are there, you know, to kind of bring that to life. And um, and it's, so we're, we're all, the goal at the end for everybody is exactly the same, to just put on an incredible event and give, give people, bring people kind of joy and inspiration really. And that's the thing to remember, I guess, even when it gets really hard sometimes. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, you obviously um, are the head of programming at one of the most important music festivals um, in the country. Do you have any advice for artists who would love to play at the festival, perhaps in the future, or you know, <laughs> kind of thinking how you know how can I uh, um, how can I be a Cheltenham artist? <laughs> um... I mean, it's very similar to what I was saying about the free stage, actually. For me, it is, it's first and foremost a question of, do I really want to see this person perform live? Do they really spark something in me that makes me go, oh, God, I think they're incredible. Yeah, I, I love them. I want, I want my Cheltenham audiences to see this person. So that's always the first thing. Um, but then, you know, if you've got an interesting project, bring it to me and let's see what we can do. Um, the, the thing that's always really hard with the festival is that we've got eight to 10 days in July, um, like maybe three events a day. So there's a very small amount of things. I get some wonderful things all the time and I can't always reply to them, which is really frustrating. And I definitely can't program them all. And I've had, had to turn down some incredible things because I also have to balance the needs of you know, of what my audiences want and, um, you know, kind of making sure I've got a good mix of things. So there's always incredible stuff that I can't find space for, which is so disappointing. Um, but yeah, you know, send me details of um, an incredible project and if I can help, I will, but <laughs> but also just manage your expectations because <laughs> there's only so much we can do. <laughs> And um, I think I feel like you've probably already answered this question, but um, just I was I was dying to ask at the beginning and I forgot. Um, what is what is the essence of Cheltenham Music Festival for you? If that, if you had to tell someone who'd literally never heard of it before, what the really important thing was about it, what would that be? Uh, incredible quality performances from a huge range of artists, from established stars and orchestras to 
young performers uh, in the most beautiful Cotswold setting, um, gorgeous concert halls, and hopefully just a really magical experience if you come. Lovely. Thank you so much. Um, it's a pleasure. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank Thanks, you so much Katie. for sharing so much exciting news about the about Cheltenham Music Festival. Thank it's you. It's so great to know that despite the recent change in the government's position on lifting lockdown, the festival will be going ahead next month in July 2021. Um, so just to say again, uh, to find out more about the festival's offering and the terrific artists we've been talking about, including the musical Ramble and the closing weekend free music in Imperial Gardens, you can find it at www.cheltenhamfestival.com forward slash music, uh, where you can also sign up to receive programme news. Our congratulations to you, Camilla, and to Thank you for finding such a tremendous lineup. And although the theme of the festival conference day may be failure, we wish you every success. Oh, beautifully done. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for joining Thank Music you. Works. Uh, I'm you. Katie Beardsworth, and it's been my pleasure to share this episode with you today. And thank you, Camilla. <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode of the Music Works podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe, check out our other great episodes, and even better, leave us a review. You can also sign up to our mailing list at www.polyphonyarts.com forward slash mailing dash list for updates and news about what Polyphony Arts is up to for all you classical music folk out there. You can find more information in the show notes as well. Meanwhile, I'm Katie Beardsworth and I look forward to sharing with you the next great episode of Music Works. Music Works is generously supported by Alliance Musical Insurance, the UK's number one musical instrument insurer. Alliance Music Insurance, serving the music community since 1960, proud to be the insurer of choice for over 70,000 musicians. Music Works is a Polyphony Arts production. Thank you for listening.